0: the economics of liberty. The most surprising best-selling book in 2014 was French economist Thomas Piketty's Capital in the 21st Century, a dense 600-page-long treatise on economic theory backed by massive statistical research, not the usual stuff of runaway literary success. Much of its appeal was the way it documented the phenomenon that is reshaping societies throughout the world. In the current global economy, inequalities are growing apace. In the United States between 1979 and 2013, the top 1% saw their incomes grow by more than 240%, while the lowest fifth experienced a rise of only 10%. More striking still is the difference in capital income from assets like housing, stocks and bonds, where the top 1% have seen a growth of 300% and the bottom 5th have suffered a fall of 60%. In global terms, the combined wealth of the richest 85 individuals is equal to the total of the poorest 3.5 billion, the population of the world. Piketty's contribution was to show why this has happened. The market economy, he argues, tends to make us more and less equal at the same time. More equal because it spreads education, knowledge and skills more widely than in the past, but less equal because over time, especially in mature economies, the rate of return on capital tends to outpace the rate of growth of income and output. In other words, those who own capital assets grow richer faster than those who rely entirely on income from their labour. The increase in equality, he says, is potentially threatening to democratic societies and to the values of social justice on which they are based. Now this is the latest chapter in a very old story indeed. Isaiah Berlin made the point that not all values can coexist. In this case, freedom and equality. You can have one or the other, but not both. The more economic freedom, the less equality. The more equality, the less freedom. That was the key conflict in the Cold War era between capitalism and communism. Communism lost the battle. In the 1980s, under Ronald Reagan in America, Margaret Thatcher in Britain, markets were liberalised and by the end of the decade, the Soviet Union had collapsed. But unfettered economic freedom produces its own discontents, its own inequality, and Piketty's book is one of several warning signs. All of this makes the social legislation of Parshas Bahar a text for our time. Because the Torah is profoundly concerned, not just with economics, but indeed with more fundamental moral and human issues, what kind of society do we seek? What social order best does justice to human dignity and the delicate bonds linking us to one another and to God? What makes Judaism distinctive? It's its commitment to both freedom and equality, while at the same time recognizing the tension between them. The opening chapters of Bereshit describe the consequences of God's gift to humans of individual freedom. But since we're social animals, we also need collective freedom, hence the significance of the opening chapters of Shemot, with their characterization of Egypt as an example of a society that deprives people of freedom, enslaving populations and making the many subject to the will of the few. Time and again, the Torah explains its laws as ways of preserving freedom, reminding us of what it felt like in Egypt to be deprived of it. The Torah, though, is also committed to the equal dignity of human beings in the image and under the sovereignty of God. Now, that quest for equality was not fully realized in the biblical era. There were hierarchies in biblical Israel. Not everyone could be a king. Not everyone was a priest. But Judaism at least had no class system. It had no equivalent of Plato's division of society into men of gold, silver, and bronze, or Aristotle's belief that some were born to rule, others to be ruled. In the community of the covenant envisaged by the Torah, we are all God's children, all precious in his sight, each with a contribution to make to the common good. The fundamental insight of Parshas Behar is precisely that restated by Piketty, namely that economic inequalities have a tendency to increase over time, and the result may be a loss of freedom as well. People can become enslaved by a burden of debt. In biblical times, this might involve selling yourself literally into slavery as the only way of guaranteeing food and shelter. Families might be forced into selling their land, their ancestral inheritance from the days of Moses. The result would be a society in which, in the course of time, a few would become substantial landowners, while many became landless and impoverished. The tarot solution set out in Baha is a periodic restoration of people's fundamental liberties. Every seventh year, debts were to be released, and Israelite slaves set free. After seven sabbatical cycles, the Jubilee year was to be a time when, with few exceptions, ancestral land returned to its original owners. The Liberty Bell in Philadelphia is engraved with the famous words of the Jubilee Command in the King James translation, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. So relevant does this vision remain that the international movement for debt relief for third world countries by the year 2000 was called Jubilee 2000, an explicit reference to the principles set out in our parasha. Three things are worth noting about the terror's social and economic program. First, it's more concerned with human freedom than with a narrow focus on economic Inequal- on economic equality, losing your land, or becoming trapped by debt are a real constraint on freedom. Fundamental to a Jewish understanding of the moral dimension of economics is the idea of independence. Each person under his own vine and fig tree, as the prophet Micah puts it, or as we say in Birkat Mazon in The Grace After Meals, um, don't make us dependent on the gifts or loans of other people. So that we suffer neither shame nor humiliation. There's something profoundly degrading in losing your independence and being forced to depend on the goodwill of others. Hence the provisions of Baha are directed not so much at equality but at restoring people's capacity to earn their own livelihood as free and independent agents. Next it takes this entire system Out of the hands of human legislators, it rests on two fundamental ideas about capital and labor. First, the land belongs to God. As the Torah says, since the land is mine, no land shall be sold permanently. You are gerim v'toshavim, foreigners and resident aliens, as far as I'm concerned. Second, the same applies to people, to labor, uh, because the Israelites are my servants whom I brought out of Egypt therefore they must not be sold as slaves this means that personal and economic liberty are not open to political negotiation they are inalienable God-given rights That's what lay behind John F. Kennedy's reference in his presidential inaugural to what he called the revolutionary beliefs for which our forebears fought, namely the belief that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. Thirdly, our parasha tells us that economics is and must remain a discipline that rests on moral foundations. What matters to the Torah is not simply technical indices such as the rate of growth or absolute standards of wealth but the quality and texture of relationships people's independence and sense of dignity the ways in which the system allows people to recover from misfortune and the extent to which it allows the members of her society to live with the truth that when you eat from the labor of your hands you will be happy and it will be well with you. In no other discipline, no other intellectual area, of have Jews have, been, have Jews been so dominant as in economics, where they have won no less than 41% of Nobel Prizes. They developed some of the greatest ideas in the field. David Ricardo's theory of comparative advantage, John von Neumann's game theory, a development of which gained Professor Robert Orman a Nobel Prize, Milton Friedman's monetary theory, Gary Becker's extension of economic theory to family dynamics, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky's theory of behavioral economics, and many, many others. Not always, but often, the moral dimension has been evident in their work. There is something impressive, even spiritual, in the fact that Jews have sought to create down here on earth not up in heaven in an afterlife. Systems that seek to maximize human liberty and creativity. And the foundations lie in our Parsha, whose ancient words are inspiring still.